0: to this edition of Athena's Blueprint for Success podcast. I'm your host, Holly Smithson, Athena's CEO. And I have to tell you, I am so excited to have our special guest on this very momentous occasion. Uh, in our studio we have Barbara Bree. Uh, Barbara wears so many hats. I don't even know where to begin. But for purposes of today's podcast interview, we're going to call her the founder of Athena. And uh, and what a tremendous vision Barbara had 25 years ago this year uh, when she set out to launch this platform and really help women navigate these male dominated industries under the STEM umbrella. So, Barbara, thank you so much for joining us and taking some time out of your your schedule to join us uh, as we celebrate this massive, massive 25 year milestone.
1: Well, Holly, it's exciting to be with you here today, and I want to congratulate you on taking Athena to the next level. And for, you know, allowing that the organization is going to celebrate 25 years. A lot of organizations don't make it that long.
0: That's a true, that's a true, that's a true point. I, I have to ask you, so for those folks that haven't followed us for, for the last quarter of a century, um, I'd love for you to give a little bit of insight in terms of the genesis of Athena in 1998, as you obviously were, um, A very high, uh, uh, well-regarded tech entrepreneur, uh, Harvard alumni, um, really had uh, a great deal of opportunity in the tech sector. So tell us a little bit about why you wanted to stand up, Athena, for those that maybe weren't as uh, fortunate as you were at the time.
1: Well, first, Holly, let me take you back to uh, 1989. Uh, I'm working at the Connect program, which was then a part of UCSD. Uh, Connect had been started to help high-tech and biotech entrepreneurs commercialize their technologies. At that moment in time, you could have counted the number of life science companies in San Diego on two hands. And I started noticing more women coming to our programs. And I started Athena then as just an informal group. We met a few times a year in different people's conference, different women's conference rooms to discuss our personal and professional issues and challenges. Uh, Remember, this is pre-Facebook, pre-Google, pre-Twitter. I don't think I knew the word social media at the time. Later, uh, 95, 96, 97, I I leave UCSD uh, to become an entrepreneur. And at that moment in time, I start thinking about how to make Athena an independent organization. And for about two years, a small group of women and I met uh, to you know, basically structure what we launched in 1998 as Athena San Diego with the goal, with the belief that by working together, uh, we could empower each other to succeed in what was then a very male dominated world of in the innovation economy. So Athena officially was born in 1998 and uh, it's thrived, and I today, as under your leadership, has grown to over five hundred members.
0: Yeah, it's it's pretty interesting. Um, we're actually at a thousand. Who's wow. counting? Uh, <laughs> but yeah. I'll but I'll tell but I'll tell you, it's um it's a really really um trying time for for women in the STEM fields, um, largely because we're 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 seeing a lot of the reduction in forces or the layoffs. Um, and what we find in the science and tech fields is that they're largely impacting women at a disproportionate level, particularly women and Latina women. Um, so we're seeing a huge influx of women trying to figure out what do I do, what do I do next, and is this an industry that that actually welcomes me? And and so it's a uh, it means there's a lot of deep sort of deep thinking and exploration on how do I maintain my passion and my talent in the fields of STEM. So what do you say to the women out there that are contemplating whether they should stay or they should pivot and find an industry that may be more welcoming?
1: Well, first of all, before we started taping this conversation, you told me that when we started, Athena, about one in four STEM employees in San Diego were women and that The number is about the same today. I think it's what I think, though, may be different today is there may be more women at the mid to upper level, not necessarily at the C-suite level, but more than just at the the bottom level. And I'll be very interested to see the results of the the survey you're you're going to uh, report on in a few weeks. Uh, What I would say to the women today is that tech and biotech is still growing. Yes, some companies are having, you know, to lay off people to cut back, but I view this as temporary, and that this is an industry worth trying to stay in.
0: Well, it's interesting because we, as our Women in STEM Index, this report that we produce biannually, uh, we obviously didn't uh, publish it uh, during the pandemic. Uh, but we're partnering with our our, our friends at BCG um, to release it um, at the Lifting While Climbing Summit on October 26th. And it's gonna be very interesting to see the impacts and the representation of women across the STEM fields during that time, but also the idea that um, we're looking for a greater pipeline to, with which to promote women into these leadership positions. Mm-hmm. Um, and right now we've got over 12 million STEM jobs in the US and approximately 25% of those are held by women. And then we have less than 20% 20 of women represented in the the leadership positions. So the data is in, we can ignore the data, but the data doesn't change. Um, It does on a a more optimistic note, it actually does help us inform the national narrative that we're having. whether it's we call it diversity, which is obviously the subject of many lawsuits uh, today, or we call it inclusive leadership. However, you want to craft the the, the wording, um, it's still the data still shows that outperformance is given to those that have inclusive leadership and diverse workforce. So I'd love to get your take, as you know, we talked a little bit um, about um, all of the litigation when we were in the green room earlier today. Tell us a little bit about your take on all of these lawsuits against companies and universities that are offering diversity programs.
1: Well, you know, the Supreme Court has ruled on at least college admissions um, and California, you know, for decades now has not been able to use um, essentially race uh, in university admissions and has figured out other ways to uh, have a diverse workforce. And I think you said it earlier, um, diverse workforces perform better. Uh, Years ago, and now I'm blanking on her name, she was a professor at UC Irvine, and she wrote a book with data showing that corporate boards, which had a diverse corporate board, performed better. And we actually had her speak at a number of Athena events. So I think companies have an economic interest in diversifying their workforce, not just the workforce, but the executive team.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting because I feel like for 25 years, we have been, Athena has been in the lab we've been we've been working through all the data you know this notion that we needed to fix women or that we needed to you know articulate the business case i think those days are over i think those days are long behind us and so it really does beg the question where we used to always be on defense those of us that were obviously promoting women in stem it used to be a conversation where we would say why diversity and I think we're at the point in our journey that the question should be better framed as why not diversity and where's the data?
1: Yeah, and I think it's great. I think it's that's why I think it's wonderful that Athena is going to present this comprehensive report at the end of October. And I agree, the conversation has changed. Now, I think most corporations accept that diversity is bet, going to be better for their bottom line. The issue now is how to do it well. And that's what companies are grappling with.
0: You know, and I and I think about you know this journey that we've been on to try to invite fifty one percent of the world's population to have greater uh, engagement and involvement in the STEM world. It just strikes me as so bizarre. And I know these are, you know, this is organizational um, management. This is change management. This is systemic. Uh, change and you don't just flip that on a dime because you've got a spreadsheet that says you're going to get out performance in the marketplace, you're going to get top talent, you're going to drive innovation, um, you're going to get greater return to shareholder value to the tune of 30%. All of those data points are compelling in and of themselves and and yet it doesn't accelerate this transformation this workforce transformation that elevates and celebrates women. And so I'm, I'm puzzled at, are we asking the right question Mm -hmm. when trying to solve for these inequities?
1: Well, I think the questions companies, not just companies, but organizations, you know, it's government nonprofits, everybody should be asking is how do we mentor our workforce? How do we create opportunities for everyone in our workforce. And I think another overriding concern today is childcare. Um, I was a working mother. Uh, my daughters are now 41 and actually 42 and 38. And you know, I have, and my husband and I have eight grandchildren. When I was a working mother, childcare seemed more affordable relative to my income. Uh, my youngest daughter is a special education teacher and the mother of two and a half year old twins. Prior to being a school teacher, she had a background in communications. So, you know, about a year after the children were born, she was able to go back to work remotely doing communications because she didn't have to leave the house. And she really didn't want to teach remotely. She's now back working at a school in in San Diego Unified a few days a week and going to work toward full time. But after paying for childcare, she will net very little money, and that's a big problem in. Our entire ecosystem is the cost and availability of quality childcare,
0: and it's it's stunning because um, it's it's it continues to it's a reflection of our society's values, right? And and so if we're going to make this um, an equal ground where everybody has an opportunity to contribute their talents, then there needs to be a consideration of all the different. Um, competing factors. I want to, I want to ask you because, you know, we've, we've got um, a lot of politics. Um, The political football of this season is diversity. And, you know, it really is at times like this, where you have CEOs and executive leadership teams that can see all of the politics playing out. And it, at that intersection, it really is an opportunity to show what the core values of the company is. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. And some are going to be subjected to the winds, you know, the winds of change, and follow through the political folly. And others will stand clear on their core values as it relates to diversity and obviously being responsible for. Uh, their shareholders' value and the performance of the company. What are your thoughts on that um, as we as we kind of plow through the political season?
1: Well, I think the key thing for every company is recruiting the best talent and retaining it. So that's why, you know, and I think, you know, women are, you know, an important, maybe they're a fourth of the jobs, but and we want to raise that number uh, to 51% of the STEM positions, but that's important for every company to recruit and retain the best. And they're only gonna do that if they show that they demonstrate diversity and inclusivity in their workforce.
0: You know, it's so interesting as we sit here 25 years from when you launched this organization along with the founding, uh, the co-founding board members of Athena, Can you tell me if you, you in your um, grand vision back in 1998, did you think Athena would be here in 2023?
1: That's a really good question, Holly. You know, I guess in the back of my mind, I thought, I hoped that Athena wouldn't be necessary in 25 years, that, you know, we would have broken the glass ceiling, that we'd be 50-50 in terms of, you know, having the, the good jobs, that the pay scales would be equal. Uh, so, part of me hoped that, uh, or that Athena would morph into something else. But in in a sense, Athena is more important than ever.
0: Well, I I will tell you that you know a lot of these advocacy groups that spring up um, over time, the goal is that they would realize their mission and then cease to exist um as you as you noted in the beginning of our interview that not all nonprofits um, survive, I think the average is five years. So I think it's certainly um, a statement to the vision um, and the efforts that you made twenty five years ago. I think it's also a reflection of California um, having having started this platform in a global STEM hub where leadership, is what we do leadership and innovation is our signature um but i think there's there's one other area that we can speak to and that really is the appetite and the ambition of the athena community Uh, the women of athena that have been a part of this they are not victims um I, that's why I love my job with the the level of passion that I do, because I see them every day, every week, 52 weeks, um, 12 months a year. And they come to our leadership development programs. They come to our program committees. They participate in the speaking um, platforms, and they're just determined. They just come to the table and say, let's look at the data. Let's understand how big the delta is, and let's figure out how we can close the delta. And it's that ambition and that determination that keeps me plugging away. and i I just um, it's it's something i've I've never seen in in my twenty five year career as a as a public policy back uh, my public policy background, my lobbying background, and my advocacy. it's it's stunning.
1: Well, Holly, I'll, I will say this. So, first of all, like you, I always have seen the glasses half full. I am an optimist. You know, I've had my share of uh, failures in life, but I've always, I'm fairly resilient. I've always gotten back up, and I really want to pay tribute to the founding board of Athena, who you know will be recognized at the 25-year anniversary. Uh, they were women from diverse fields, and uh, they sort of forged the foundation. For, you know, Athena to develop, you know, an infrastructure that could survive over time and uh, that I'm really proud of the work they put in at the beginning to get Athena started and then, you know, as women went off the board, new ones came uh, and the legacy uh, has continued.
0: Yeah, and, I, and I, I, I know that in the beginning, it is so critical to have a handful, just to have that critical mass of people that share, have those shared values, um, that see a, a gap in the marketplace that they're convinced needs to be filled, um, and that the time is now, and that the people are us. And, um, and in the absence of that, you know, where would we be? Right. Um, you know, you said earlier, one in four STEM jobs here in the US and California are held by women today. So while we're not where we want to be, we've maintained um, that sort of pole position. And, and I don't I don't want that to be lost um, for those in our audience that are looking for inspiration, that are looking for um, the hope that uh, may be under under attack right now in the face of all the litigation against corporations and universities that want to extend diversity into their program. So I'm going to ask you, since you are the Athena visionary, I'm going to ask you to pull out your crystal ball. And I would love for you, and obviously as an elected official, um, former city council here in San Diego, uh, former president pro tem, you've seen a lot, your fair share of politics, uh, Madam Mayor tell us what your um what your vision is or what you uh, see on the horizon as we sort of rise above the headwinds and and look from a place with more clarity and more intention
1: well i i hope the i think covid really shone a light on the fragility of the ecosystems that support families and that support workplaces and yes you know many professional positions could move to zoom and now many people are who were totally on zoom are operating in a hybrid world the flexibility of which is good for families both husbands and wives in co-parenting children and if they're not co-parenting children in having a more fulfilling diverse life and also many People uh, are dealing with elderly parents. I mean, many people have things going on in their lives other than work, and they should. Um, I will just say last week, um, I watched um, Oprah Winfrey and Arthur Brooks, uh, who's a, har- Arthur is a Harvard professor who's written a lot about happiness. And they've just published a book together and they did a Zoom. And they talked about sort of what makes for a fulfilled life. And it was basically family, friends, work, faith and service the combination of all of that is what makes for a fulfilling life the word happiness is kind of touchy-feely in a way but all of us want to have a, a life that we feel is fulfilled i think athena will continue to have a role in in that realm i certainly hope that in 25 years you know it's 50 50 uh that women are you know more equal in the STEM workforce. Uh, and I think Athena will continue to play a role in making sure that everyone's life uh, is fulfilling.
0: Well, I certainly appreciate that. And I have a lot of confidence in your um, your vision. Um, I wouldn't, you and I wouldn't be here otherwise. And I'm gonna take license with your, uh, your projection um, And I'm going to say that we're going to get there um, within the next 10 years because I want to put that out into mother universe and let her conspire her greatness. Um, But I also think in the same way that life changed as we know it forever um, in the wake of the pandemic, it changed us Mm -hmm. in, in 24 months, it changed it. And, and so and I'm not inviting another pandemic. That is not what I'm saying here. What I'm saying is we know when, when our hands are forced, whatever that looks like, we are a very supple, we are a very agile, we are a very capable society to do what we need to do. And it's within that frame that I'm hopeful it will be sooner rather than later that we get where we need to be.
1: Well, you're... You're going to make it happen, Holly.
0: We're going to make it happen. We're going to make it happen. I am just so tickled. And and I really do appreciate you coming on. And I, I just want to remind everybody that, um, Barbara and I are going to be joined on the stage on October 26th at the Lifting Wall Climate Summit and the 25th anniversary uh, at the Conrad Previs Performing Arts Center. It's going to be a magical celebration, I can tell you that. And it's going to be quite a tribute to all of the women across the STEM community that continue to contribute to the world of therapeutics, pharmaceutical devices, uh, genomics. Engineering technology—it's just—it's um, going to be an extraordinary celebration, and, and I'm really excited um, to, to invite all of you and our audience to join us. As you can see, we've got the uh, VR code if folks want to register uh, before we get sold out. Uh, we do have a—we do not have a our typical 800-seat um, venue that we traditionally do because we're not hosting it in a corporation, but rather at an art center. Um, in honor of this celebration but um, Barbara thank you so much for joining um, thank you for launching and having the vision for Athena and I can't wait to, to share a glass of Prosecco with you um, later this month
1: great see you soon Holly congratulations
0: thank you Barbara that wraps up this edition of Athena's Blueprint for Success podcast brought to us by our friends at Qualcomm, and we'll we'll see you all next month thank you